Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Ministries International. We value the Word of God as an instrument of growth in our lives, using it to mend our ways, align our thinking, and ultimately bring restoration. We trust that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. This morning I want to talk to you about the abundant life. In uh, John chapter 10 and verse 10, Jesus is speaking and he says the following, the the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. So when the Lord Jesus proclaimed those words, he introduced everyone who believes in his name to higher dimensions of living. Let me repeat once again what the Lord said. I have come that they, who's they? The believer, the one who believes in the name of Jesus that you may have life because you believe and that you may have it more abundantly. Now here are some questions that we need to ask in order to define what is abundant life. When you hear that word, what do you envision? What do you see? What do you understand concerning the abundant life? What does it look like? And not only that, how does abundant life behave in everyday life? Well, this is what we're going to be looking at this morning. And I trust that this is what I will be answering these questions. What is the abundant life? How can we define it? What does it look like? How does it behave? First of all, I believe the abundant life is one that is free from the curse and its consequences. And I I am sure that you are aware of that because Brother Tony continually speaks about that. Amen? It is a life that is empowered by the blessing of the Lord. But... It is much more than that. Because so often we just park there. Jesus redeemed me from the curse of the law. Praise God. He redeemed us from spiritual death. He redeemed us from sickness and disease. He redeemed us from poverty and from lack and from every kind of fear. We rejoice in that. We give thanks to God for that. And we declare that with confidence. But we must not park there. Because the abundant life is much more than the bless me club. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Now, the abundant life, according to the scriptures, is the very life of Christ living, breathing, and working in us and through us. That is the holistic definition of the abundant life. Notice what Paul writes to the Colossians. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 4, he says, When Christ, who is our life, appears then you will also appear with him in glory. When Christ, who is our life, very important. Then again, he says to the Galatians, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, it is no longer I who live, but Christ now lives in me. And again, he says the same thing to the Philippians. 
In Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, he says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. As you can clearly see from Paul's writings, the abundant life Christ came to give us is none other than his very own. It is his life living in us. His life working through us. His life moving and living and reaching out and blessing and loving and forgiving and believing and trusting. That is the abundant life. And that's the life you and I have received when Christ the Lord came into our lives. When we reached out to him and say, I receive you, Lord. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose again to justify me before God the Father. Amen? Amen. So, it is a life that abides in Christ in which the interests of the kingdom of God become our first and foremost priority. It's no longer about you or about me. It's no longer about us. It is about the kingdom of God. It is about the interests of the kingdom of God. It is about pursuing and seeking to establish the influence of God's kingdom in your own sphere of influence. That is why Jesus said in Matthew 6.33, Seek first, not second, not third, first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things, he said, will be added to you. Today we have, I believe, a major problem in the church. I would say the biggest problem that we have in the church is that believers have become too selfish, far too self-centered and egocentric. It's all about me. What's in it for me? What do I gain? And more and more, as I travel and see and behold the state and the condition of the church, it's about seeking the blessing rather than seeking his presence. And folks, that's a tragedy. Amen? When we live for ourselves rather than for Christ, we have not moved forward. We have not grown spiritually. We have not developed. In other words, we live for ourselves, and as I have said, we pursue the blessing rather than his presence. 2 Corinthians 5.15, these are very important words. And these are the words that I believe every believer ought to live by from day to day. Notice what it says. Those who live should live no longer for themselves. Though, are you alive? Are you living today? Well, the word says, if you live, you are no longer to live for yourself. And then he goes on to say, but we are to live for him who died for us and rose again. Do you see it? That is how a mature believer lives. That is how he walks. Or she walks. That is how he understands the abundant life, the eternal life, the life that Christ came to give us. You see, the root cause for such a kind of living, selfish living, seeking what's in it for me, seeking the blessing rather than the presence, the root cause is spiritual immaturity. And that is a major problem that we have in the church today. When believers refuse to grow and develop spiritually, they remain selfish, babes, carnal, seeking only their own interests. Now, certain things in life, you and I know, can only come with age and maturity. Am I right? 
we don't expect a six-year-old or a seven-year-old to think responsibly because they, they're still young. It's the same thing in the spirit. As we grow in the knowledge of God, as we mature in the things of the spirit, we are raised to another dimension of living. A living that embraces the welfare of other people, not just our own. Paul says to the Philippians chapter 2 verse 4, Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. So as the life of Christ within us matures, our value system begins to change. In other words, we begin to value things that we did not value when we were spiritually immature. Let me give you some of the characteristics of a mature believer. What does he look like? What does he seek? How does he think? So you can, you can gauge yourself where you are. Am I a mature believer? Or am I still a spiritual infant? Here they are. When we begin to mature in the Lord, our focus and attention is given more and more to spiritual things. And things which pertain to eternal life as opposed to natural physical things. As Paul says, if you have been raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, not the things of the earth. So as we grow and mature in the Lord, our value system begins to change. And we give ourselves, our focus, our attention, our meditation to spiritual things and things that pertain to eternity. In other words, we are driven by eternity and not by the temporary things of this life. Our decisions have eternity in them, in mind. So, because we know that we are here only for a season, James says, for what is your life? It's just a little vapor that appears for a while. And then it vanishes away. And because we know, a spiritually mature person knows, I'm only here for a limited time. I am a pilgrim. This is not my home. Amen. My home is with the Lord in the heavens. So I'm only here for a season. My life will be lived with purpose and precision. In other words, a spiritually mature person does not waste his time or his life. He lives with such purpose. He lives with precision. He lives with divine order. Because we have eternity in our mind. Are you with me? Shall I go on? Another characteristic of a spiritually mature person who has grown in this abundant life, the things of this world no longer have the same attraction, no longer have the same pull as they used to. And as Paul says, we become dead to the world and more and more alive to God. Remember what Paul said? Through the cross of Christ, I have become dead to the world and the world is dead to me. In other words, the worldly mindset, the worldly spirit had no influence on Paul. What the world thinks, amen, what the world says no longer bothers us, amen. We only look to please one and that's all. Praise God. Another thing, a spiritually mature person is granted access into the mind of the Spirit, into the mind of God through the Holy Spirit. So he begins to see and understand the way God thinks 
and the way God works. He becomes one with the Lord, with the Spirit. He understands the ways of God, the mind of God. And he knows how God works. He does not oppose or frustrate the grace of God. He flows with the grace of God because he has the mind of Christ. Amen. A spiritually renewed mind. But here is one of the most significant signs or characteristics of a spiritual mature believer. It is when he begins to accept responsibility for the entire family of God and particularly for the spiritual family he belongs to. This is very important. And I'm going to explain. In other words, we are no longer seeing ourselves responsible only for ourselves and our own natural, immediate family, but in the love of God, we embrace our greater family, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, and particularly the fellowship we belong to. We become responsible for the family. It's no longer the pastor's responsibility. It's my responsibility because I'm part of this body. We don't say, this is your church, Brother Tony. No. The spiritually mature person says, this is our church, my church, not your church. Amen? The church belongs to the Lord Jesus, not to man. Amen? Amen? So we see ourselves as responsible for what happens in your spiritual family. Amen? The problems of our spiritual family become our problems. Their challenges, our challenges. And their victories, our victories. That means we rejoice with those that rejoice. And as the word says, we weep with those who weep. We become one with the church God placed us in, fully immersed into the mind and the purpose of the fellowship. And we seek for ways to serve rather than being served. Amen. We don't come to church thinking, what am I going to get today? How is God going to bless me? We come with another mindset. How can I be a blessing today to someone? How can I encourage someone? How can I give to someone? How can I uh, practically express the love of Christ to someone whom the Lord touches my heart? Amen? Amen. These are the spiritually mature people. And God needs mature people to fight his fights and to win the battles of the Lord. And to change the atmosphere. Not just of your own family, your own fellowship, but the very city that you are part of. And because the spiritually mature person cared deeply for the spiritual family, they stopped pointing the finger. They stopped finding fault with the fellowship. They, if you look for faults, you're going to find many of them. Hello? But a spiritually mature person does not do that. They stop criticizing and they give themselves to prayer, asking God to anoint them and to make them instruments of his sufficient grace and wisdom in finding solutions to the problems the family is facing. Do you see the difference? They don't become offended. They don't allow themselves to fall into the trap of the enemy. Oh, he said that, or oh, she said that, oh, the pastor did this, oh, he did that. So many believers today leave one church, they jump from one to another because they are offended. Somebody said something, somebody did something, or the pastor said something they didn't like. So up and they go. That's just spiritual immaturity, folks. That's what kids, children do. Amen. They fight over the toys. They, they fight for everything. They argue. They, bit, they bicker. 
Amen? Amen. But you are not part of that, are you? Amen. Amen. Also, spiritually mature people share the burdens of those they are called to walk with. Remember what the scripture says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Let me share with you a couple of testimonies along these lines in order to demonstrate to you what, what we're talking about. What eternal life or abundant life looks like? How does it behave? What does it do? Amen? Amen. Many years ago, while in, in prayer, uh, I received a gentle rebuke from the Lord. You know how even when the Lord rebukes you, is so comforting and so sweet. And, uh, and, and, and you just receive it because you know where it comes from. The gentle rebuke of the Lord began to show me that be the reason for that is because I used my faith primarily for my own needs and not applying it to better the lives of others. And so, this is what the Spirit said to me. He said, I have taught you how to believe, how to exercise your faith in regards to my promises. You have seen the benefits and the blessings that flow from me because I have taught you how to believe God and stand on my word. And he went down the line and pointed out the blessings I received through faith. And then he said, exercising your faith only for your own benefit is very selfish. And then he said this, you have a responsibility not only to teach others what I have taught you, but you must also exercise your faith in fighting the battles on behalf of your brothers and sisters, as well as finding solutions for the problems and the challenges they face, especially those you associate with. In other words, he said, I have not given you this faith just for you. I have given you this faith to believe God for others, to take on their challenges, to take on their problems through your faith, finding solutions, getting in there and fighting the battles along with them, rather than just using your faith only for yourself and for your own needs. And this is when my perspective began to change. And I began to grow up spiritually. And I began to, to take on the collective responsibility for the body and not just for my own needs and the challenges I face. You see, the scripture clearly teaches we are the body of Christ. And whether we agree or not, whether we like it or not, we are our brother's keepers. Amen. 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 And many, I believe many, many, because they did not reach out to their brother, or because they did not protect or keep the brother or the sister, they fell. Amen. You see, immature people will point their finger to the plight of others and find fault. But spiritually mature people, they will embrace them and with compassion will walk with them on the road to restoration. Amen. You walk with them until they are restored. Amen. You patient, you tolerant, you forbearing, and you walk with the love and the kindness and the forgiveness and the gentleness. And when you give them such love, in the presence of such love, they will change. Because the love of God can change any person. Amen. 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 
But that love needs to be expressed, needs to be released to touch the lives of others so that that love can change them. You and I can't change them, but we can release the love of God. And it is the love of God that changes people. Amen? From the inside out. Now, during that time, I was part of a fellowship of pastors. And we met every Friday morning for fellowship, for prayer, for ministry. And I'm still part of that particular fellowship. Every Friday morning we meet. Now we meet online because of the pandemic situation. And within our fellowship, there was a pastoral couple who were going through a very rough time with their daughter. She fell into drugs. She rebelled. And... That kind of living brought great sorrow to the parents because they were pastoring a church. And you know what it feels like? I don't know if you can imagine when you as a pastor, uh, you know, you, you, you go to hold to a certain standard. And here you have a child that is rebellious, that fell into drugs. And obviously it brought a lot of shame and, and, and concern to the parents. And the Spirit began to touch my heart during that time with the plight. And I began to pray fervently for them. I took on that burden. I took on that challenge. And in prayer, God gave me a plan on how to deal with the situation. So I had a meeting with them. I called them and I said, listen, this is, this is what the Lord has shown me. I shared the plan with them. And together we began to tackle the situation with fasting and prayer. And I put my shoulder next to theirs and began to fast and began to pray for their child. And to cut a long story short, the daughter began to respond. She accepted the place of rehabilitation and was delivered within a few months completely free from drugs. And now to this day, after so many years, she's serving the Lord alongside her parents in that church. That was a miracle. A miracle of God in answer to the prayer. But the parents couldn't do it on their own. I had to come alongside them and join my faith and my prayer alongside with them. The Bible says one will chase a thousand, but two will chase ten thousand. As you come into agreement with the brother, then the anointing is multiplied. We talk about a corporate anointing. You have more strength. Because sometimes we cannot deal with what we're facing on our own. That's why God placed you in a body. To draw strength from your brothers and your sisters. So that they can fight alongside with you. And deal with whatever it is that is causing so much havoc in your life. And so that the young lady was delivered. In addition to the family problem, they also had a severe financial problems due to the split they had in the church during that same time. I remember they drove an old car, many years old, that used to break down every now and again, leaving them on the road. And many times they could not come to the meeting because the car broke down. I got so mad at the devil. I really got angry, not with them, but with the devil. I got so mad at them and I began to channel that anger in prayer and fasting. I remember I went out to a solitary place and I fasted with another brother. And in that fast, I saw a vision of a man with a paralyzed arm. And the Spirit spoke to me through that vision and revealed to me that this paralyzed arm of the man I saw symbolized that the financial arm of the church was paralyzed and dry. Couldn't give because it was paralyzed. Well, I called the pastor, same pastor. I related to him the vision. He responded and he said, Andrea, why won't you come and minister at our church one of the Sundays that you're free? I accepted the invitation and I went on a Sunday morning and ministered to that congregation in the area where they were exactly struggling concerning the withered arm and primarily was financially. And I recall 
I'll never forget that day. After the message, I gave an altar call in prayer and made an appeal to their generosity. I challenged them and I said, if you want your finances to be healed, you've got to do what the Lord said do. Don't seek to receive, seek to give. Jesus said, give and it shall be given back to you again. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give into your bosom. If you're not giving, don't expect to receive anywhere from God. That's why many Christians dried up financially because they're too stingy. They want to rob God. They don't give God what is His. Amen. Amen. And they expect to be blessed. You'll never be blessed. Amen. Until you open your heart and you open your hand and you become generous because your Father is generous. So I challenge them in that area. Just as Jesus challenged the man with the withered hand, he said, come stand in the middle. And then he said, stretch forth your hand. How could he stretch forth his hand? It was paralyzed. It was withered. But because Jesus said so, he did. And as he did, he was restored. So I said, if you want your finances to be restored, you want the church's finances to be restored, you've got to stretch forth your hand and give. You know, that day we received about 85 to 90% of what was needed to buy the pastor a new car. And after a few weeks here, they collected all the money and he was driving a brand new car. No more breakdowns. That was another miracle that God did. Amen? Amen. One of the things I really get to enjoy is being able to take on the challenges of others, especially those I care for, and find solutions through the wisdom of God. You will never live until you learn to live this way. I mean it. When you become a blessing to someone, when God anoints you to become an answer to someone's cry, there is so much joy in that. Amen. Amen. The Bible says that we are to bear one another's burdens and we are to fulfill the law of Christ. I'm going to share with you another testimony. Because I want you, I, I, I want to drive in and press in what I'm sharing with you today. And I trust that from this day your mindset will change. You will no longer think what's in it for me. But you will start thinking, how can I be a blessing to someone today? You'll get up in the morning looking for ways and for reasons to be a blessing to someone. My wife sometimes, she, she gets on my case. She says, that's all you do. Give here, give there, help this one, help that one. Uh, <laughs> sometimes I move far beyond the faith of my wife, so I have to pull back and pull her by my side. So I have to pull back and then reach out with my other arm and pull her next to me so that we can do this together Amen. and not in disagreement. I just love blessing people, folks, in whichever way they need. I see myself in Christ as a resource house. You know what a resource house is? People need wisdom, they come to you because they know they're going to get the word of wisdom. Amen. Amen. They need prayer, they're going to call you because they know you're going to pray for them. They need financial help, they're going to come to you because they know you're going to help them. Amen. It is, it is wonderful to be able to be positioned in such a place in Christ where you don't turn anybody away. Amen. For whatever need they have, whether it's spiritual, whether it's financial, physical, they need deliverance, you deliver them in Jesus' name. They need wisdom, you give them in Jesus' name. Freely you have received, freely give. Every one of you is expected to live this way. Not the pastor, not the mighty man of God. Every believer 
is called to live this way, to be a light shining in a dark place. Amen? Amen. This other situation, a pastor with whom we are in fellowship with for 11 years now, he found himself in severe financial difficulties because of the pandemic. And, you know, in, I don't know what happened here, but in South Africa, many churches have struggled. Some of them have closed down. Pastors said to go look for work because people have lost their jobs. Restaurants were closed. Everything was closed. You know that. Most of the people in his congregation are foreign workers. They are from other countries, and they were part of the hospitality industry. They worked in restaurants, in taxis, and so on. But as a result of the pandemic, they lost their jobs, and the income of the church completely dried up. So I began to pray. The pastor never asked me for anything. But many years ago, he came to me and he said, Pastor, I was sitting in your church one Sunday morning. And you don't know this, but I have been praying for four years since I started the church for God to show me who my spiritual father is and to whom I need to submit my ministry to. I remember that time he had no problems financially. He was doing okay. And when I was sitting there, at an invitation of someone from your congregation, God spoke to me and he said, you are my spiritual father. And I'm submitting my ministry to you from this day. Well, I said to him, I'm not sure about that. I have to pray about it. You know, God never said anything to me. So I prayed about it. I called my wife and his wife and the four of us sat together. And he related to me exactly what the Lord said to him. After prayer... I said to him, let's walk together. I believe this is of the Lord. And we've been walking together now for 11 years. But when the pandemic started, he found himself in that situation. And so I began to pray. And I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, what is your plan for this man, for his wife? What is your plan for his congregation? And you know what the Lord said to me? You are my plan. That's all he said. He said, you are my plan. Not only that, he also pointed me to a verse of scripture from the book of Isaiah. I want to read the scripture to you and I'll tell you this. If God had ever spoken so clear to me, it was that day through these verses of scripture. Isaiah chapter 25 and verse 4. Can you put that on the board? I'm reading from the New King James Version. This is what the word says. For you have been a strength to the poor, a strength to the needy in his distress, a refuge from the storm, a shade from the heat, for the blast of the terrible ones is as a storm against the wall. The Spirit spoke clearly. He said, you are my plan. Because he said, you are my strength to the poor, and you are my strength to the needy in the distress. You are a refuge to them from the storms of life and a shame from the heat. We are in Christ, and Christ is a refuge. And Christ is a shame. And Christ is what? Strength to the poor and to the needy. And I have learned that when God speaks to you, he also provides the grace and the faith to do what he tells you to do. Amen. Remember, he's a man with three children. No finances. But by the grace of God, when God spoke those words to me, God devised a plan in my mind. And I called certain people, not from our local congregation, but from the international ministry and, and the people that relate to me in an apostolic manner. 
They look at me as the spiritual father. And some of those people, they are well off. I shared the plan. Everybody responded favorably. And they began to contribute. So together with the members of our spiritual family, we formulated a plan through which we could provide and sustain not only the pastor and his family, but also the unemployed within his church by establishing a food pantry on a monthly basis. Those who don't have work, they would come to church once a month and they would collect a, a box of groceries and it would last them for a month. Talking about cooking oil and bread and all of those things that, that everyday use, non-perishable things. And so by the grace of God, we have become to that pastor and his congregation what God said we would be. Strength, refuge, and shelter. Some years ago, I heard a brother say that, that at the beginning of his ministry, when he was still young and immature, he always prayed that God would send him a man to meet his need. Lord, send me a man. He saw in the scripture that when God wanted to do something, he called a man. When he wanted to deliver his, his, the children of Israel from Egypt, what did he do? He called Moses. He said, you my man, you deliver them. When he wanted to take on the promised land, what did he do? He anointed Joshua. God always has a man. You see, God works through men. He cannot work independently from his church. Amen. We are his feet. We are his hands. We are his mouth. We are his eyes, folks. So he said, I would always pray, Lord, send me a man, because he had a need. But he said, when I grew up spiritually and I became mature, I stopped asking God to send me a man. I started praying, Lord, let me be the man who would meet the need of someone. And he became the man. Then he would answer somebody's cry, somebody's need. He became an answer to the prayers of God's people. Amen. That is, that is the abundant life. That is eternal life. That is the life of Christ that is living and working and breathing within us. Becoming an answer to someone's need. I mean, look at Jesus. Did he live for himself? Everything he did was for others to please his heavenly Father. When the people were hungry, he fed them. When they were sick, he healed them. When they needed deliverance, he delivered them. When they needed teaching, he taught them. Amen? Even when he was tired, even when he, when he heard that his cousin, John the Baptist, was beheaded and he wanted to mourn for just a couple of days by himself, the Bible says they sought him out, multitudes and crowds. And he went and met the need, even in his sorrow and in his mourning. He never turned anybody away. His entire life was given up to serve God by serving the people of God. That is the life of Christ. That is the abundant life. It's not about bless me, Lord, and mine. Amen. We need to get out of that bless me club. If you live that way, you are restricted. You live in a cage by yourself, isolating yourself from the rest of the body of Christ. Amen. We need to get out of that cage. Get out of that bless me club and become... The blessing of the Lord to someone else. Amen. Amen. Why am I sharing these things with you? To demonstrate to you what spiritual maturity looks like. To demonstrate to you what is the abundant life that Christ came to give you. This is the life he came to give you. A life that is lived for others. A life that is laid down. For the benefit of others. For greater love has no man than this. Than to lay down his life. For his friends. Amen. Amen. It is to show you what higher dimensions of living is all about. 
And higher dimensions of living is allowing the life of Christ to be lived through us in order to bless those around us. So look around your spiritual family and beyond and see what God sees. Hear what God hears and love the way God loves you. Don't remain indifferent, but become part of what God is doing and what God wants to do through you and through me. Spiritually maturity, spiritual maturity does not stand afar off disassociating ourselves from the needs and the challenges of our brethren, but rolls up its sleeves and assists in every way possible. Ask the Lord and be sincere how you can serve, how you can be a blessing, and how you can build up the body of Christ that you are part of. The Apostle John said, By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, 17, and 18. I have learned this in my years of experience in serving the Lord and his people, that the greatness of a person's life is not measured by the wealth he possesses, it is not measured by the position he holds, or the status he has achieved, or his education, but it is measured by his servant heart. That's how God measures your greatness. God measures the greatness of a person's life by how many people he serves and how well he serves them, beginning with your own immediate family. Why is that? Because the greatness of a person's life is not measured by duration, but by donation. It's what we do for others. Inspired and motivated by the love of God that makes us great in the eyes of the Lord. Do you get that? Mother Teresa once said, all of you know who Mother Teresa was. One of the greatest diseases in the world is being nobody to anybody. Our life, I believe, will be defined by how well we serve those whom God has called us to serve. Our spouse, our children, our church, our community. And our primary purpose in life, if you're looking for a purpose, here it is. It is to receive the love of God and to give it away. It's just, I cannot put it any simpler. Receive the love of God and give it away. And there are so many ways to give love. It could be a kind word. It could be a kind deed. It could be a generous act. Amen? How do you show love? Amen? Ask the Lord, how can I show practical love? Do something for somebody. And your deeds will speak louder than your words. And this has everything to do, I believe, whether you and I will live under an open heaven or a closed one. Exodus 25 says, And you shall serve the Lord your God, and he shall bless your bread and your water. But first comes the serving, then the blessing and not the other way around. Amen? Amen. You know, <clears throat> it was the 1st of April 2011. I record these dates, especially when God speaks to me, so that I don't forget them. And I laid awake for quite a while during that night, 
these words were ringing in my mind. It was like my spirit was communicating with my mind and I was having a conversation. I had to get up and write what my spirit was communicating to my mind. That's why I remember the date. It was the 1st of April, 2011. And this is what I wrote in my diary. I find my greatest expression in life and the greatest release in ministry by serving those whom God has given me to serve and by helping them become all that God had called them to be. And I went through them one by one, beginning with my family, and I saw this to my astonishment. God has enlarged my influence and my territory in Christ through servanthood. By serving those precious people, the ministries, the pastors, the spiritual sons, with the grace that God has given me, the boundaries of my influence in Christ had increased tremendously. Your influence can do things that you cannot do practically. Influence. That's leadership. As I close my message this morning, I want to remind you of the words the prophet Haggai said to the people of God who had re neglected the house of God. Remember, the house of God is no longer a building. We will have this in mind when we read the scriptures. The house of God is the church of God. You are part of the house of God. The house of God is the people of God. God cares more about people than buildings or anything else. People are his treasured prize. That's why Jesus came to earth to die for precious souls. Nothing is more precious to God than people. And we must become the same in our value system. We must honor and appreciate and love people more than we love things, more than we love money, more than we love anything else. Love people. Because that's what God does. God doesn't care much about it. God cares about buildings because you care about a building. Amen? God doesn't care which car you drive, what color of the car you drive. He cares about your soul. Now, in Haggai chapter 1, verses 7 through to 11, we're not going to read the, the whole chapter because it's quite long and for the sake of time, we're just going to read verse 7 to 11. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, but indeed it came to little. When you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, says the Lord of hosts, because of my house that is in ruins, while every one of you runs to his own house. Therefore the heavens above you withhold the dew, and the earth withholds its fruit. For I called for a drought on the land, and the mountains, on the grain, and the new wine, and the soil, on whatever the ground brings forth, on men and livestock, and on all the labor of your hands. You see, the Lord through the mouth of his prophet rebuked his people at that time. Why? Because they neglected his house. While they were running around taking care of their own houses and living in luxurious palaces. Selfishness. They would say it's not time to build the house. But they were building their own houses. You see, the lack of concern and the lack of compassion for the house of God brought them under severe judgment. They experienced drought. They experienced crop failures. They experienced financial and physical lack as well as emotional unfulfillment. 
And this, I believe, is a very relevant word for the church today. The concern for our own welfare only, at the expense of neglecting the house of God, which is the people of God, has caused us many, many a heartache and a problem. And we have to change. Remembering the words of Paul when he said, Let not every man look on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Can we stand and close in prayer, please? This is a watershed moment for everyone who heard the words of my mouth today. And you are called to make a decision today. And the decision is this, whether you're going to remain a spiritual babe or you're going to grow up and become a mature woman and a mature man of God taking on the responsibility for the house of God. What will you do? What will you decide from this day forward? Will you continue to live for yourself? Or will you say, Lord, from this day forward, little steps at a time, I'm going to seek your face every day for you to show me how to live for you and for others. Let me be a blessing to the body of Christ from day to day. Let me be a blessing to my pastor. When was the last time you came up to your pastor and to his wife, Sister Erda, and you said, Pastor, we want to honor you today. You have been feeding us with the word of God Sunday after Sunday, day after day. We want to bless you. We want to do something for you and your wife. Amen? Become appreciated. Learn to honor because that's what the life of Christ does. See how God has honored us. How did he honor us? The Bible says he's given us a name that is above every name. He has placed us on the highest place of the universe, sitting right, right next to the Father, in glory. Do you call that honor? He plucked us from the gutter. He washed us. And he gave us a place, the highest place in the universe. That's honor, folks. How will you live your life? That's what's important. And if you want to be counted as great in the eyes of the Lord, remember, your life will be defined by what you do for others. Motivated and inspired by the love of God. Father, we thank you today for your precious word. I know, Lord, this is a word for spiritually mature people. And I like to think that I am speaking to people who are mature in the spirit. We've heard your word for years. We know what the Bible says. Lord, we thank you. Help us this day to make a quality decision from where there is no return to live for Christ and for others. As Paul said, let us make his words our words today, Lord, when he said, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. So that we can look at death and face death with joy, knowing that absent from the body, we will be present with the Lord in the heavenly places. And we thank you today in Jesus' precious and wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. For additional resources or more information about this ministry, come and visit us at alphaomegaint.org.za.